I'm Andrew Levine, the CEO of Koinos Group, and welcome to the Koinos Group podcast. At Koinos Group, we're developing the Koinos blockchain, which will have free transfers, free accounts, and free smart contracts. These features, in combination with a number of technical innovations, will make Koinos the first programmable blockchain with no barriers to entry. And as a result, we expect it to touch every corner of the technology space. So we'll be using this podcast to share information about the project, interview members of the team, and interview people from other projects, not just in the blockchain space, but in the tech space more generally, because we're building Koinos to add value to any project, not just projects that want to build themselves as decentralized or blockchain powered. In today's episode, I'll be interviewing one of my co-founders, Nathaniel Caldwell, who's also one of the architects of the Coinos blockchain. Unlike most other projects, we have not one or two, but four amazing blockchain architects with unrivaled experience building, maintaining, and upgrading high-performance blockchains. In this episode, Nathan is going to tell us a little about his background and then explain one of the important technical innovations that he's worked on called Koinos Types. At Koinos Group, we are developer obsessed, which means that we want to build tools that developers love using to build amazing blockchain-based applications. That's why we think it's super important for Koinos to have multi-language support. It should be fast and easy to create amazing client libraries, microservices, and smart contracts in the programming languages developers already know and love, and it should also be just as easy to update them. Koinos Types is key to accomplishing that goal. So without further ado, hey Nathan, can you tell us about your background and how you came to be working on Koinos? Got interested in in uh, programming when I was a little kid. I wanted to make video games, and that sort of was an on ramp to learning about uh, the the wonders of of computer science in general. And uh, you know, I was I was uh, in high school. I was learning C plus plus and playing around with it. And by the time I uh, by the time I got to uh, college and had to make a choice on what I wanted to study, I was very interested in in physics simulation, and so I actually went for physics and not computer science, um, you know, to, to learn those skills. And, and, uh, and so uh, my undergraduate degree was, uh, was in physics. Um, and, then I, and then a master's in computer science following that. Uh, I actually worked in nuclear physics when I, was, uh, when I was in academia, when I was studying. Um, and, then, uh, and then I left academia to, to go to the private sector um, and work for government contractors. Um, I ended up, you know, with my uh, science computing background then. I ended up in biometrics doing fingerprinting and, and iris scanning solutions. Uh, and from there, I, I ended up in DNA forensics, uh, writing software for crime labs. And uh, it was it was around that time when I was when I was in forensics that I was really starting to get interested in in the blockchain technology. It was sort of emerging, you know. Uh, at the time, I, I was in forensics for a while. Uh, it was it was emerging at the time. Uh, I, I got kind of uh, involved in in Litecoin mining and in learning about the technology, and I, I saw it as as an answer to a lot of problems that you know the the. The world was having, you know, I, I think, I think it really interested me because decentralization of, 
of uh, financial technology was really something that uh, something I had been thinking about, you know, but didn't have a I I didn't have an answer to it, you know, at the time. But uh, some some very smart people did, and uh, so so I got you know I got very interested in studying that and and uh, realizing some of the the larger problems it could solve, especially when smart contracts came to the forefront with Ethereum. Um, and so I was, you know, I was very interested in that. And, uh, you know, especially since uh, I was working as a government contractor in, in uh, things like, uh, well, like biometrics and, and crime labs, I sort of got a front row view to some of the just waste and corruption going on. And, and uh, you know, it, it really sort of, really sort of struck home, uh, you know, for me. Um, it, it, that's not, uh, <laughs> not the right term. It, it sort of, uh, it really sort of, it was, it was the right, uh, the right thing at the right time. You know, it was the right, uh, the right technology um, at the right time, I, I, I thought. And so I ended up, uh, I ended up actually getting an interview at Steemit. And so they, moved me to the uh, the main steam at blockchain team and I was going to be a I was going to be a developer on that team at first but then they uh, there was a management vacuum and they thought I was the right person to fill it and so I ended up uh, as the uh, product manager of the blockchain team and so that that was you know different it was it was new to me uh, it was really good experience and I learned a lot about you know I learned a lot about another side of of development uh, there. And I learned a lot about blockchain, of course, which is, you know, it was like a dream to me. Now let's talk about Koinos types. It was pretty hard for me to wrap my mind around this. Can you explain Koinos types and why they're such an important part of our solution? What's the deal with, with Koinos types? The deal is a problem that we discovered, you know, with, with our experience in implementing blockchains is it, there are the protocols that you have to have to talk to, you know, the blockchain monolithic or microservices, whatever the case is, you have to, you have to have an API, you have to, you know, have your program somehow, your, your client library, your service, whatever you're writing, you have to have it be able to communicate. And there are certain, certain objects, complex objects that you simply need to have, uh, exactly the same bit for bit or else you know I, I mean we're doing signature verification we're doing all kinds of finicky things with the blockchain that you you need every bit to be correct um you know every bit needs to be in its place in the same order and that uh turns out that that can be a screaming pain um if you're you know you're trying to write a python library to talk to the the steam blockchain like we you know we have experience with you're you are re-implementing uh, the serialization. You're, you're implementing all the types, uh, you know, exactly the same way so that uh, you have the same representations and the same messages. And that's, uh, it, it's, it's difficult, it's error prone, it's time consuming. And you're doing this for every language and every application developer practically has to do this themselves before they can even start start to you know do whatever they're trying to do uh you know assuming they're doing anything that's uh beyond trivial you're 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 just doing this and so we wanted a a way to 
represent the same objects across different applications and, and, and in different languages. And we looked at existing technologies. There are technologies that do this. Uh, Protobufs, you know, comes to mind. That's uh, a major one. Uh, Google's Protobufs. But there was really nothing that we found that quite served our needs. Protobufs, for instance, doesn't guarantee the same representation across uh, different languages or even versions, I believe, of uh, protobufs. So you're, you know, you're going to communicate the same objects in the end, but but the bit ordering of, of the serialized, you know, when you, when you convert it to to bits, it, it's not necessarily going to be in the same order, which is of course incredibly important for a blockchain for signatures and everything. So it just, we couldn't use that. Uh, it, it didn't quite suit our needs, close, but no cigar. And so we uh, wrote our own solution to this. And that is, uh, we've called it Koinos types. And essentially what it is, it's a definition language. Now we have a definition language in which you define the types that you want, the various objects, a block, a transaction, uh, you know, the, the different uh, API requests and responses, you, you, you define what these look like, what data they hold. Um, and then we have a compiler that compiles that definition language uh, into an inter intermediate format that's then easy to convert to whatever language you want. And so we have done this for C++ and now Golang. You have native representations in the language with JSON and binary serialization that uh, that are the same across across those platforms. We we've designed it in such a way that adding new targets is uh, it's significantly simpler than implementing it uh, from the ground up in that new language. It's it's a ten times less work. So let me try to explain this in terms I understand it, and then you tell me how I'm wrong. <laughs> Uh, you have object-oriented programming languages like C++ and uh, programming languages that don't have objects. And so you need this kind of translation layer that enables services or programs written in these, these different kinds of languages to understand one another. So it's not, uh, it's not the, the fact that different languages have different paradigms. It's that simply the every language that you want to, you need a representation of a block in, if I'm using Go, I need something that represents a block in, in the Coinos blockchain. And not only do I need a, a stand-in for that, for a block that can hold all the data of a block and, and act like a block, you know, it needs to, well, it needs to look like a block and act like a block does in every other language. They need to be, equivalent. And that's the difficulty. Um, you need to, for every language, you're writing this, the same thing uh, that has to act exactly the same way. And that's finicky, difficult, um, just because not necessarily because that language has a different paradigm, but because you're just, well, you're just doing the work over and over again for every language. You're writing a lot of code and doing a lot of testing to make sure it all acts the same. We're offering a solution that 
simplifies that greatly. So it, it does a lot of that work. Yeah, sorry, it, it does a lot of that work for you uh, uh, towards getting uh, achieving that goal. So my last question on Koinos types. It seems to me like Koinos types is a great example of one of these highly technical, seemingly small solutions that is actually a key component and explains why blockchains like EOS, like Polkadot, like Ethereum still don't have multi-language support for their smart contracts because this is the type of highly technical work that you have to do during the design phase of the blockchain in order to enable that functionality at a later time. Is that, is that right? Yeah, so, so Quinos types isn't exactly for uh, uh, smart contracts. Um, it's, uh, it's for client libraries. And it, uh, you know, it, it is one of the reasons that, uh, that you get a lot of, of bugs and slow development in, in client libraries, especially when, you know, so if I'm interacting with Ethereum, I'm probably using JavaScript because there's so much tooling and all of the types are represented simply and, and uh, you know, if I'm going into Python, there's, you know, there's some support written in Python, but that has to be maintained separately. Um, it has to be, you know, a, a whole lot of work needs to be done to create and maintain the code that I need in Python to talk to Ethereum. The, you know, it, Go libraries for Ethereum, same thing. Someone, someone has to do a lot of work and maintenance just to get, just to get and keep those libraries running as things change. This, uh, so this not only allows you to easily begin targeting a new language for a client library for, for a, a software that interacts with the blockchain, but it also makes maintenance a lot easier. You're not, you know, you're, you're, uh, there's a, a pretty good chance that things will, ch you know, change as time goes on, of course, types will evolve. And now instead of having to uh, pull your hair out and panic and write a whole bunch of new code to you know, figure out what's going on and, and support it, you will download the latest version of the object definitions, uh, you know, smack compile on it and uh, you'll, have, you'll have the new types and, and the way they work represented uh, with, you know, potentially minimal work having to be done uh, to retarget that. My, my part in, in Koinos types was uh, pioneering targeting new languages. We wrote it at first only outputting C++, using a lot of C++-isms and, and not, uh, you know, not sure yet what, uh, what work would need to be done to be able to support other languages. And uh, I, you know, I, I added um, Golang support and did the work required to make sure that, uh, you know, that it's simple to, to add support for new languages going forward. We have a compiler that looks at the definition language 
and takes those types and breaks them down into uh, sort of a graph of, of uh, what every type, what kind of data it holds, what other types it, it depends on. You know, you're, you sort of have a, a, a tree of dependencies, like a, a block holds a transaction, a transaction, you know, that you have things referencing each other. So this sort of breaks it down into a, a, uh, an easily readable, parsable map of, of what you're looking at. Um, and then the way we turn that into, uh, the, the way we target that for a new language is we parse that uh, using, we use a macro language called Jinja, which is interestingly designed for, designed to be a web template, designed for, um, Aside for uh, writing writing out HTML, you know, actually, but uh, we are using it. But it it turns out it's a really good multi-purpose language for just you know taking code and writing other code. And so we we produced uh, we produce Jinja templates uh, for each language that parses this uh, this map. And then, and then what, what you do if you're writing a new target, then, you know, we have a bunch of macros that you will, uh, a bunch of macros that you can sort of uh, copy paste and replace that, that uh, you'll make it, you'll make it output representations that make sense in that language. And then when you run the compiler targeting that language, then you'll get, you know, you'll get, uh, you'll get your code that you can then use. It is sort of written in an object-oriented paradigm, so anything that even pseudo supports objects will be simpler. Writing it in Haskell would, would probably be a pain in the butt. You know, ba basic, some crazy languages would be, but uh, most modern languages, Python, JavaScript, you know, they'll, they'll be simple to target. They won't be, they'll probably be simpler than Golang. Golang itself is kind of an odd duck uh, with with its very minimalist feature set, it was uh, it was really strange the way the the way that we had to implement some of the ideas in the macro. So many other many other languages will be a lot simpler than what we've already done. Most uh, most I would say that people would want to use. Is this the kind of thing where the work you've already done is useful in future work? So if you're trying to add support for a new language and you and we and it already supports uh, a similar language, it'll be less work. Absolutely, yeah. I would just, you know, if I were if I were uh, implementing a new language, which uh, most likely will be, I would take that take that template for Go that we wrote, copy it, and start from there. Copy and just start, you know, re replacing pieces with. Uh, your chances are it's going to, if not completely, you know, usable with, with uh, you know, the macros that we defined uh, very close with minimal, um, you know, minimal, minimal, uh, we'll say wild changes to it. You know, you'll, you'll be more or less converting what we've written there to the language that you're, that you're uh, targeting, which is, N not terribly difficult in most modern languages.
it was almost like working out where like you you know you make your you make the challenge really hard for yourself but you actually create like a more robust solution yeah i think that's probably fair yeah go like i said go is a little odd it, it it's missing it's missing some things that a lot of languages have uh, there's no way to to do uh templates and or, or generics uh if you know if you're familiar with that it, it basically means you're you're writing your uh writing a lot of code over that does the same thing. It, it, it doesn't have uh, enums. It doesn't have, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of strange things that uh, are more difficult to implement. Uh, I'll put it that way. There are a lot of strange things that are more difficult to implement. And, and by doing that first, it, it certainly a lot of other languages uh, that we want to target will be now that that work's done will be easier. Like, like yeah, like working out, uh, working out and then and then oh now I have to lift a pencil. <laughs> sure.